Welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Thank you, Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter. Uh, welcome back, my friends, to Red Rain Podcast. Um, on the uh, heels of uh, another um, difficult second half performance from the Cardinals, got to give them a lot of credit for the, how they played in the first half, although frustrating that they didn't score more points because they dominated time and possession. There was some real questionable play calling. On offense, we'll delve into. There was also um, some um, errant throws by Josh Dobbs we'd like to have back. Um, But, I mean, they, uh, you know, and then Rondale Moore not running, you know, not not taking a knee to stay in bounds cost the team three points at the end of the half and valuable momentum. And I think from that point on, uh, Sean McVay <laughs> um, really um, took control of that game at, in the locker room at halftime because, I mean, what he did is what he's seen on tape is that on first down you can throw basically at will deep against the Cardinals, as we've seen. Um, and Kyle uh, Ledbetter has, has uh, documented this. We saw it with um, in, the, in the Giants game with uh, you know the the um, Kentucky wide receiver deep threat. Um, uh, Elon Hyatt or Wandale yeah, Robinson. Hyatt, exactly. We saw it with Brandon Ayuk. We saw it with Jamar Chase. Um, this has been a pattern. So he throws the ball deep to Cup on first down, getting the ball back with like 43 seconds left or whatever. Um, and they want to get some points out of this, knowing they're getting the ball first in the second half, the Rams are. And, um, you know, for people who were blaming uh, Catrell Clark for that play, um, I tweeted this out after the game. I mean, putting Catro Clark on Cooper Cup on an island um, without any safety help is is on the coaches. It's not on Catro Clark. And I have to give Clark credit for being close enough in his coverage there to make an instant tackle on what was a perfect dime thrown down that deep by Stafford. Um but man, 45-yard play to get the Rams in sc- immediately in scoring position, um, and being able to kick that field goal to make it nine to six and momentum into the halftime. And here's what I believe happened: was that once the Cardinals get beat deep, they kind of go in into a shell um, mentally on defense. Um, and Gannon is always stressing, "Don't give up the big explosives." which is ironic to me because his free safety play is so absent. Um, and, you know, on that play, if you want to look, Kayvon Wallace bit inside as the free safeties have been want to do um, since Gannon arrived. And, um, you know, they were able to throw over the top. And Catrell was right on, on Cooper's Cup's heels. It took a perfect pass. And, you know, I give Clark credit on that play. Um 
you know, I mean, Jonathan Vilma, the the uh, the Fox uh, color commentator, said that Catro Clark will learn from this and whatever. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, look at it this way: Cooper Cup won a Super Bowl, getting bracketed all game. <laughs> I mean, by Lou Anarumo and the Bengals. I mean, they bracketed him, and he still beat them. Not just so, the I Super mean, Bowl. He was the Super Bowl MVP, too, and he had, what, 13 catches Correct. in that game? Correct. I mean, you know, this is not a guy you're going to single cover with a six-round rookie draft pick. It's just not. And I give the six-round rookie draft pick a ton of credit. And then on the, the touchdown pass to Cooper Cup, so you not only have to bracket Cup um, on the deep end with a free safety, you have to tilt a linebacker to his side or safety, strong safety to his side in short to intermediate passes because, you know, this is what happened to Clark on the goal line was that, um, was, you know, he was uh, playing inside leverage to prevent uh, Cup from crossing his face for a slant tee you know, slant pass TD, which he had to do because there was no one in the immediate area to help him. So you give him credit for that because it's too easy if you if cup can just cross your face and they throw it over the, you know, the slant into the, into the end zone um, without safety help or a linebacker help. But then, you know, um, so Clark played the inside uh, inside leverage properly, but when with a guy like Cooper Cup, you know, he always goes. I mean, he's like the Edelman of today's football, where Brady and Edelman had this deal where like they just they just knew if the leverage is inside, you're gonna break outside. If the leverage is outside, you're gonna break inside and I'll hit you. The way Brady would without Edelman. It's the same way with Cup. So all the right on pre-snap, they knew they saw Catro Clark shading to the inside. They knew that that uh, Stafford and both Cup knew he's going to run the out pass, go opposite. So, and Clark, you know, had no chance when the quarterback throws the pass, a perfect dart on the break, which is what Do Josh Dobbs was having trouble doing all afternoon. Um, and then cost the Cardinals dearly on that one. I mean, you, if you wait a second longer, uh, Clark could have recovered on that and broken the pass up. But when you throw it at the pylon, boom, before just as Cup is making his, his uh, planting his pivot foot, his planting foot to, to uh, run the out, it's, you know, playing inside leverage on that gives you. It's near impossible to defend for anyone. So if the Cardinals had lined up a linebacker or, or strong safety to that side close enough, then Clark could have played cup squarely and had a much better chance to uh, defend that pass. So again, I don't blame Clark on that play. I mean, how many times have we seen cup score that touchdown against us? He's done it against Byron Murphy He's done it against every Cardinals quarterback, cornerback, particularly when they play inside leverage on him. And, you know, they, it's, you just, 
it's kind of a gift wrapping to tell you the truth. Uh, you know, with a savvy quarterback like Stafford and in such great sync with, with cup, you know, when you think of Dobbs missing, uh, missing Hollywood Brown uh, on all those throws, they were too late. First of all, let's, let's, Let's uh, offer a caveat here is that, again, this week there was concern over whether Brown would play in the game at all. And he was out of practice with an illness or whatever. Um, I, I think it was Wednesday. He was a no-show. And, you know, that's a huge day in preparing for, for a game and getting uh, in sync. And what, you know, we don't know what Dobbs is facing pressure-wise from his players. I think Zach Ertz has been in his, in his ear to get him the ball. I imagine that Hollywood Brown here, that Dobbs feels an obligation to to uh, give Hollywood Brown the majority of targets to wide receivers at the expense of ignoring Michael Wilson, which is here was the mistake. Was You had Wilson Wednesday in practice. You had him Thursday. You had Wilson all week. There should have been an alignment and a sync there with Wilson going on, but then you could turn around and start targeting um, Hollywood Brown. Instead, you you start ho targeting Hollywood Brown, and to Brown's credit, he was open first on the deep pass that could have easily been a touchdown. Here's the problem with that play. I mean, Dobbs was was uh, you know rightfully trying to look off the safety, but he he took a second too long and. With with Hollywood Brown speed, if you don't get the ball out quickly, it's going to be underthrown, as it was just by inches. I mean, it's just a timing factor that okay, you can take take the snap one two, look the safety off, and now get rid of it. Unfortunately, it was take the snap, look the safety off one two three. Now the pass, and unfortunately, it was uh underthrown and then you know then the other pass that wound up with Dobbs wound up throwing to the pylon was was a mistake because it was versus zone coverage and once Hollywood um, got open in the gray area that pass has got to come out now now we've seen Dobbs make that throw to Rondale Moore before in the first game that he played against the commanders so uh, Dobbs is aware of how to place that ball but un uh, unfortunately whatever he was thinking again was too late and by the time he threw it to the pylon the safety was there to cover it and uh you know unfortunately a deep ball later on on a key um third down to brown was caught but out of bounds so i mean this the sink there between dobbs and brown was off and in a game like this, if you're going to compare it to the sink between what uh, Stafford had with Cup, who ended up with, a, what, 145 yards, um, you know, there's just no comparison. So, I mean, in, in a game like that, you really need need those plays when you got them open to click. And uh, it raises questions about Dobbs for, you know, two weeks in a row. I mean, against the Bengals, the ball was coming out wobbly. Um, yesterday, it just everything was late, late, late. That throw over the middle behind Ertz was just so, so agonizing 
especially when, you know, the guy we should be trying to target downfield in Rondale Moore is uh, made a break over the middle, was wide open. Uh, the Fox crew, um, you know, showed that very well. And, oh, man, it's that front. I'm sure no one's more frustrated than um, Josh Dobbs. When he watches that tape, he's just going to be, or well, he already has, I'm sure. He's just going to be really upset at himself. Also, Ertz, you know, I mean, would be very disappointed because that ball was not put on him. But if you look at Dobbs's feet on that throw, he threw, you know, his feet never moved. He was just, you know, standing, you know, square. He never stepped into the throw at all. It was just a flick of the wrist. Really poor. It was ill-advised, the whole thing. And he was not under duress. There was no pressure. Um, you know, and the good thing about Dobbs in the first half was the way he ran the football. Um, obviously, he doesn't even mind getting hit. Um, he's, there's no, you know, um, sort of uh, hesitancy in his part. Once he makes up his mind, I mean, that that run he made around, you know, left sideline and then cutting back to the middle, that was awesome. I mean, give Dobbs a lot of credit on that. Um, and he, you know, I think ended up leading the team in rushing. And speaking of rushing, rushing, I mean, I, I just don't get – I mean, Amari DiMicardo played a great game in the second half last week. Why is he third string? I, I just don't get it. I mean, Keontre Ingram runs... How should I put it? I mean, he runs hard, but he's like a wobbling shopping cart. I don't know what it is with him. And when he hits, he doesn't... He gets hit. He gets always driven backwards. It's not forward with him. It's just a weird running style. I don't know. But he he counted himself pretty well. I mean, the stats on him were pretty good. I mean, you know, um, I mean, and he ran the ball hard. But there's something smooth and savvy about DiMarcado and that, that the others are missing. And, I, I mean, I don't get where, you know, Damian Williams, he ran well too, but, I mean – who had the biggest average on the team was DiMarcado at 5.5, other than Dobbs at 6.7. And he only gets two carries. And the other two get 18. I mean, what is it with these coaches and rookies? I mean, you know, I mean, and DiMarcado's the best at taking the romance out of the A-gap blitz of anybody on the team. So I, I just don't. I mean, what do you, what is, what kind of statement does that make? What kind of a reward is that for playing well the last week when you take a street free agent in like 10 days ago and he's getting eight carries and you have Ingram who's been hurt. He got 10 carries for 40 yards, 4.0. That's all good. But Timo Carter gets two carries, 5.5. Why isn't he in there from the beginning? I, I just don't get it. Um, that bothers me a great deal. That was an interesting part, too. I think seven of Williams' eight carries were in the first half, too. So a lot of right. the time, by the end of the game, they just bailed on the running game altogether. Yeah, well, when you start getting behind, and yeah. I mean, 
the passing stats were all late. You know, I mean, Wilson was routinely ignored again. That I cannot comprehend. I mean, what is it with the Cardinals and rookies? I mean, Wilson, I'd make a case he is potentially our best receiver. I mean, he can post guys up the way other other receivers can't. And he's a 50-50 ball magnet. I mean, he's a back shoulder magnet. He's a guy you like Fitz, you can throw to and throw it up to him, and he'll go get it. I mean, his hands are outstanding, and he tracks the ball beautifully. And look at his, his physical prowess. Why they're not targeting him in the red zone instead of running these one- or two-yard dives. And then what really irked me about Dobbs was that five times in this game, he threw under the sticks on third downs. Five times. And when Kyler was doing that last year, it pissed me off as well. I mean, it's just a giveaway. You just say, all right, I've had enough of this drive. I'm just going to dump it off. I'm going to check down. They'll make the tackle. Now we'll trot off the field. I mean, that that is just so poor. That's not good effort. That's not good mental effort. That's not good competitiveness. It's just uh, really disappointing. That's why I posed a question this morning on Twitter. Um, one of the polls I put up there was that, uh, you know, in light of Dobbs's two games worth of struggles, um, you know, would you, you know, prefer to see Clayton Toon get the start this week? 41 pl- people have voted so far, and the answer is yes, 53.7%. Ooh, you might want to refresh your screen real quick because I see it's up to 53 votes now. Oh, really? Yeah, 53, okay. 53 votes, and I see 55% oh, yeah, saying it, yes. Right, right. Uh, Hayden out now wrote, he needs a shot. We're stuck in neutral. Time to find out if the kid is worth keeping around long term. I agree with that. Um, I, I want to tune from the start because – you know, I because of the late arrival of Dobbs. Now, Dobbs has acquitted himself well, and he's done a lot of really good things. So it's hard to, you know, I mean, he's he exceeded my, my expectations for someone who just had to jump in at the last minute um, through the first four games. But these last two weeks, I've been um, a regression. And, you know, I was questioning at the time. I mean, first of all, I was saying, he looks like a really good fit for this offense. Now I'm not so sure because if you can't throw it, you can't play it. Um, and, you know, last two weeks, the passing struggles have been, you know, um, been poor and, and or alarming. And so you got to do something about that. Now, that was the question I had a lot, all along about Dobbs is with only two career starts coming into Arizona and never having played a string of starts like he's doing now, can he sustain – earlier success like he had the interesting thing is against the two best defenses he's played he's had his two best games against dallas and against san francisco i mean um qbr um wise and that's really encouraging and and like i alluded to in 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 uh, um in an article last week called uh josh dobbs aw shucks where i uh consulted my good friend uh barry shuck from uh 
Dogs by Nature, the Cleveland Brown site on SB Nation, who's going to join Kyle and me in two weeks to talk about the Cleveland game and to talk about the trading deadline. Um, you know, Barry Shuck has been high on Josh Dobbs, and you know, I shared with everyone things he said about him. Um, and you know, so and things were trending in the right direction for Dobbs after those two games, but uh, since then, I mean, against the Bengals. And the Rams, um, he's 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 not getting it done. I mean, I'm sorry, but but here's the thing. I mean, this is the first time in his career he started six straight games, and you know you can be good in a couple games, but can you sustain it? Right now, I think that's a huge question mark. Um, more than likely, he'll get the start. I mean, these coaches don't send to, tend to make changes. I mean, when are they ever going to change the left guard position, which has been a been a sore spot, a weak link in the chain on the offensive line all season long, and they still don't make changes. Uh, they they shuffle a guy in there every now and then, but but uh, I mean Wilkinson had a, just an egregious offsides panel, neutral zone infraction on that uh, tush push um, conversion attempt. Um, oh, and uh, he's just not getting it done. I mean. I, He's just not. And we got options. I mean, I put a poll out there, too. And, and then in light of D.J. Humphrey's recent struggles, I mean, you know, it, it was so easy to see this coming. This is what bothers me so much, is that the Cardinals, particularly Bidwell, never has a crystal ball. It's always like what someone's done for you in the past. I mean, DJ was out with a back issue last year, missed the last nine games of the season. His replacement wound up in Josh Jones being the highest scored graded player on the entire offense in the 70s. Um, and he gets summarily dismissed coming in. And DJ gets hailed as like our poster boy leader um, who has utmost football integrity which, uh, you know, I, I love DJ as a person, but, you know, I mean, he's mistake prone He, he ha and he's injury prone. And there are some things there that make you question, and he's getting being way overpaid, way overpaid. Those contracts were just two of Kime's worst contracts. I mean, the first one sort of panned out because DJ had that one really good year that, you know, landed him as a Pro Bowl alternate. We only gave up like one sack. Um, that was his run blocking grade that year wasn't great, but his pass blocking grade was. So you got it at that one year. But again, you got to get for a contract like that where he's getting in the upper teens a, a year. You got to get more than that. And and this is talking about trending in directions. This is not trended in a good direction for DJ or the team. And now, you know, he's routinely given up sacks in the second half of games um, and strip sacks at that. I mean, it's just, uh, it's not, this isn't working. And, um, you know, so I asked, I'm going to update this poll. I, I get 39 votes on which left tackle, left guard, right tackle, O-line combo would you prefer? <coughs> And my first choice was DJ Wilkinson, PJJ, the way it's been. The votes so far give that 12%. So obviously the fans want change. I want change. 
The second um, option was DJ Daly or Cologne at left guard and PJJ at right tackle. That's the leading vote getter right now at 41%. But right on its heels is moving PJJ to left tackle, Daly or Cologne to left guard and Beecham to right tackle. That's 38.5%. So that's uh, right on the heels of the, the other option. And then I had a fourth option of PJJ at left tackle, Daly or Cologne at left guard and Jackson Barton at right tackle. And, uh, uh, Jurgen Roger Bach, uh, Jorgen, uh, Roger Bach, uh, tweeted me. He said, what's your verdict on Froholt, Mitch? Um, and I retweeted back, I love Froholt's physical style of play. I just love it. I'm going to say this on Red Rain today. <clears throat> My preferred O-line combination would be um, get PJJ at left tackle ASAP. Um, then, because, you, you know what? Yeah, I know John Alt and, you know, the, the there are a number of high left tackle prospects. I mean, you just took a, a tackle in the top 10. I mean, typically tackles in the top 10, you're going to play at left tackle. I mean, next year, we have so many holes. I'd rather take a tackle on day two and play him at right tackle the way that some teams are doing this year really well. The kid from Ohio State opposite PJJ um, is having a tremendous season at right tackle. Um, you know, you can get right tackles in round in day two that are really good rather than having to spend one of your first round draft picks on another tackle. Why not do that? Let's get, let's get PJJ at left tackle. Now what I would do is move Froholt over to left guard because of his physicality and the way he can pull. Cause I love like this kid, Tristan Cologne at center. I mean, he, I think he's a natural center. Um, I think he's one of the most underheralded players on this roster. Um, I also like Steve Ishmael um, that we got from the 49ers. I think we have depth there. So, you know, um, but putting Cologne at center and then Hernandez at right guard. And I, I want to see Jackson Barton. I was impressed with him in preseason on the right side, not on the left. On the right side, I thought he played physical football. Um, and I know he's pretty close with, with the O-line coach. Um, they have a history, um, you know, Clayton. Um, they have a nice little history there. I'd, I'd really be fascinated. I mean, I'd be tempted to put Beach because I really like Beach. But Beach is, you know, I mean, he, why not go younger and see what you've got in Barton Jackson? And, you know, if you've got someone there who plays well the rest of the year, then maybe you wait till day three to draft to draft another tackle, because um, you know you could get Barton back. You could have all these these five guys back for next year. Um, they'd all be under contract, I believe. I think Cologne is an equal rights free agent. I mean, they could easily get him back. Froholt's on a two year deal. PJJ is here for the next five years. Um, Hernandez has signed a two year deal, so he's coming back. Barton would be a restricted free agent or at the most. So easy to get those guys back. And why not? You know, I mean, so uh, uh, that's, that's, those are changes I would make, but why the co coaches, uh, um, you know, Clayton Adams is doing a fine job. I mean, look at the, 
look at the rushing numbers. I mean, the running game is the best it's been in a while. And they even continued it without James Conner yesterday, which was so impressive. And you add to it what uh, Dobbs did with his feet, getting 47 yards. That was impressive. Um, but the, the, the averages were there. But here's the thing about Petzing that's driving me crazy. For a breakout like him, is you're pounding the ball well between the tackles. Why are you going vertically on these, like, gimmick plays, like the jet sweep? Why, when you're pounding the ball between the tackles, did Sean McVay do that yesterday in the first half? Did he go vertically at all? I mean, once you're pounding the ball, get after it. Keep going. Why get cute? How about that play where they pulled DJ, who looked like he was, you know, confused and Wilkinson to the right, leaving Aaron Donald all alone to come crunch your running back. I mean, what the frick? Why get cute? I mean, those plays to Rondell Moore were crushers. I mean, they were awful and they were run to the short side of the field. They had no chance. The one play that we've gotten the most out of with, with Rondell Moore out of the backfield was him off tackle. And you don't run him then that. Why? Because you're afraid? He's afraid? I mean, Rondale Moore is just, you know, I mean, when is somebody going to get something out of this kid and, and do it properly? Now, unfortunately, we missed a, a player later where Moore was on a circle route over the middle, which he would have caught and, and taken in for a touchdown easily. And you miss him on that. So, but... But why you're not throwing downfield to Moore is really frustrating. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, he had four catches for 30 yards. I mean, the, the longest of which was nine yards on seven targets. I mean, what a waste of a second-round draft pick. And the thing about Moore is that, you know, you can ask yourself, why isn't Moore returning punts? Because Dorch is a dog. Who'll do it? I mean, Moore is, plays in a tuxedo. He's like a Pat P. I mean, what is it with that kid? I mean, he's just tiptoeing around. Every chance he got yesterday with the ball, he ran directly out of bounds. Virtually. It's just very upsetting to me. And I, I'm I'm at my rope's end with Moore. I think it's part to do with him. You know, it still bothers me that that you know um, that uh, you know our receiver, who Christian Kirk, when he came in here. Oh, I don't. I like it out on the perimeter. Oh, great. I mean, and, and then how tentative he was returning punts. I mean, why do receivers, second-round receivers, come in here and basically dictate their own terms? You know, I mean, and then you have a dog like like Greg Dortch who's going to fight and scrap for every piece, inch of grass he can get. And you don't hardly even play him. Again, zero targets. I mean, I saw him in the lineup a couple times. I don't know how many snaps he got, maybe a handful at most. But you didn't target him or throw to him. So what's the what's the point there? It's just 
really, really frustrating. Greg Dorch but, did technically have one target, zero catches, zero yards in the game. Oh, he did? He had one target? According oh, to the oh, ESPN yeah. box score. The one that he threw over the end zone. Yeah, that was target. He uh, dobs through like into the stands practically. Um, Did they yeah, count that as targeted to Dorch? That seems like a yes. strange choice, huh? Well, no, it was thrown in his direction. He was the only man closest to it. Oh well, that way, that it bothered, it that bothered me count. later in the game when when uh, Dobbs got called for you know intentional grounding. He was outside that tackle box when he threw the ball. He did a great play on that. He got robbed on that one. I thought that was a poor choice. No, there was no receiver in the area, but he got it to the sticks. And, you know, he made a strong move to his left to get out of the tackle box and make that throw. So, you know, credit him on that one. But uh, but then, I mean, this is what Petsing did in the Giants game. I mean, you have momentum, but you don't do hardly anything to attack the end zone. It's like you're just playing conservative to run the clock and to set up field goals. And, you know, I mean, particularly, you know, when the Cardinals got that great turnover, you know, on the special teams play, it just didn't go into attack mode. You know, it was just, it's just like pretend football to me. It's just like, you want to be serious? You, you know, the name of the game is points on offense. I mean, you got you to gotta go for it. Conceive it. Draw it up and practice. Like I said, you got a guy like Michael Wilson who you can use in the red zone, and you're not even throwing to him. You're ignoring him for three quarters of games. I mean, that's wrong. You got two tight ends. Who could be better? You know, and McBride showed up yesterday, clearly at his best game of the season, um, and is making the case to be TE1, receiving-wise, no doubt. I mean, he looks more the part than Ertz right now. Um, you know, Ertz got only got five targets and only had two, two catches. McBride had four out of five. I mean, he had five targets, and he, he had four out of five for 62 yards, 15.5 for a tight end. That's really good. You know, but a lot of that came late, too. There's um, context to that. But still, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, there's there, Zach Pascal, I don't see how he's a fit. Um, he also struggled on special teams yesterday, missed a tackle. I don't get it with him. I don't know why you're playing Zach Pascal in front of a dog like Greg Dortch. I mean, I have all kinds of personnel issues with this coaching staff. I mean, let's just shift over to Zayvon Collins. I mean, what the frick is going on there? When these guys inherited this Cardinals defense, the two best athletes by far they inherited were Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins. Guys they could really make stars out of. In my opinion, they did an awful job with Isaiah. Yeah, you can blame Isaiah. You can, you know, this and that. You can do that. Or you can work with him and not not give up on him. And I'll tell you this, 
there was no other player on this roster who could play center field the way Isaiah Simmons could as an imposing figure who could deter these teams from throwing at will deep over the middle. If he could just did that and then told him to do that, make sure nothing gets behind you and take the deep threat out, he would have been such a valuable asset to this team. And it just irks me to no end that they pissed that away after giving him his $4 million roster bonus like a week earlier or two weeks earlier and then only having to pay him $1 million the rest of the season, which they just gift wrapped to the Giants. Well, it's just really frustrating. I mean, he had a 90.2 game in 17 snaps two games ago. I mean, the guy is a tremendous athlete who somebody's going to get something out of eventually. And it's too bad we didn't have defensive coaches who recognized this and didn't try to get through Isaiah's issues and coach him up the way, the way that they could have. That bothers me. So he gets pissed away. Then you move Zayvon Collins from Mike over to linebacker, outside linebacker. Zayvon Collins' impact on this game yesterday was one tackle. That's it. So you're going to run on ad nauseum in the second half, and he's being wasted away on the edge. Um, you know, and the one tackle he made was a spectacular cross the field. Get he got to uh, Williams, Kyron Williams, who had 20 carries, 158 yards for 7.9 average, 31 long, and a TD. I mean, that was just unbelievable in the second half. But this is what McVeigh did. See, get this. I mean, this is what hard coaching looks like, both on the physically, and we'll get to that, but also in, at halftime. So McVeigh knew, I mean, and I think he was very clever at this. He knew at halftime that the Cardinals, you know, uh, Gannon and Rayless would probably be focusing much of their talk on not getting giving up explosives again, like on the deep end to Cup. Um, so what does McVeigh counter with is that now we're going to start running the ball down their throats while they're adjusting to pass after what we loaded off that 45-yarder to Cooper, 49-yarder, excuse me, to Cooper Cup on first down from deep. Oh, so frustrating. Um, that that In that situation, situational football means you have a free safety who's going to take that away all day. In that situation, you can't leave them. You can't have a zero in the middle. Zero help. You just can't. It's just awful football. I mean, it's pretend football to do that. Um, and situationally, just awful. It's totally on the coaches. So McVeigh knew and Gannon and Rouse would be in a twist over that and, you know, said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come out and pound the rock. We're not going to run jet sweeps or do anything cute. We're just going to run our patent off-tackle plays, which seem to always work against Cardinal defense def defenses. Didn't work in the first half, and they didn't try it much in the first half, which was a, a bonus. And I got to give Gannon and Rayless credit. Their first half pass coverage was much better than the week before. But where was that in the second half? 
I mean, well, first of all, it got beaten out of them by the, you know, them running the ball 10 times in a row, right down, right down the field at seven, eight yards a clip. And I'd, I'd say you know, having a guy like Zayvon Collins to try to take the romance out of that would have been a nice idea. I mean, our linebackers are small and they're safety types. I mean, they're, they're like modern day inside linebackers who can get, get, um, you know, blocked too easily and, you know, are not as physical enough um, in shedding blocks and getting to the football. I mean, during that streak, how many tackles did you see from, um, you know, uh, Kaiser White or Josh Woods? Woods has started off with a couple tackles each game and then faded. White and Woods, you should have had way more tackles in this game. White only ended up with eight. And a lot of those were on passing plays, by the way. And Woods had six. That led the team. And that tells you right there, you know, that is not good. Ledbetter had four. He played a well again. He really worked hard. Still had four. Uh, Victor Demikije did a really nice job. He's a, you know, and he got us one of the sacks. You know, he's a, he's developed nicely. I mean, he can play that edge that Collins just as well, if not better than Collins. So Collins is a waste over there because he's not getting pass pressures. And now Demikije has three, I think, on the season. His third sack. Here's the other thing: is Gardek. He's the most electric player on defense right now. He makes the only one of the only great contained plays on Williams yesterday and holds Williams to a two-yard gain, which helped to stop the bleeding on a first down play. And what do they do? They take Gardek right out of the game. Right out. Right out of the game. Here, man, take a seat. We're going to shuffle somebody else in there. This hockey-shifting kind of uh, playing of edge players is driving me nuts. I can't get in a rhythm. Your best players aren't on the field often. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't. So, but here's what happened. So at halftime, McVeigh just says, heck with this. We're going to come after these guys and we're going to run. We are going. I'm going to run it 10 times in a row, which is exactly what they did. <sighs> and man, um, it was frustrating to watch that. And you just felt it coming. And now you're just like, the Rams fans are back in it. They're going crazy. I mean, it was just exerting physical dominance without a response from coaches. And that's the other thing that really sticks in my craw. Look, look at the way McVay coached on that sideline and compare it to the way Gannon coached on his sideline. And I mean, it is night and day different. And I cannot make an argument for Gannon. I'm sorry. Because, you know, McVeigh was coaching his ever-living ass off over there, um, you know, interacting with players and, you know, easy even calling plays. Like, I don't mind if a head coach doesn't call the plays necessarily. But to stand there like a statue, like a freaking spectator all game long like Gannon does. I mean, what... What is he doing? What does he think? He's Bear Bryant? He might as well be up in the press box. I mean, it's just ridiculous that he could just stand there with this stoic 
face all game long. I mean, and in press conferences, this, this losing isn't even bothering him. It doesn't show that it is. He has no sense of urgency. He's asking for tough guy players. He's a softball coach standing on a sideline. He's a softball coach. Okay, this isn't football. You want ballers? Then act like one. Coach like one. I mean, I can't stomach this. This is just outrageous. I mean, we hired a head coach to just stand there like a statue on the sidelines and do jack shit to help the team. And it's a helplessness. Every second half of this defense just falling apart like a house of cards. And the coach is just standing there not doing jack shit. It's awful. And then I have to see on Twitter and in the articles, oh, oh, this team's playing hard. That team in the second half was hardly playing. It was hardly playing. And this has happened in second halves repeatedly in every game except the Dallas game. And you know what? The Dallas game is, is, a, is a really important point. Because we've seen that with the players the Cardinals have, they can sustain it for 60 minutes. They have that ability. So why aren't the coaches getting it out of them? And now they get the age-old excuse, well, that their talent sucks, so eventually it's going to pan out. No, the way these defenses play in the second half is disgraceful. I mean, they've basically given up scoring plays on every single play for like four of these games in the second half, on every single down um, series, excuse me. I mean, yesterday, they scored five times in a row. What did San Francisco do all game? They scored five out of six times in the in the game. Five out of six times. What did the Giants do in the second half? They scored five times, five for five. I mean, what kind of defense is that? And what kind of coaching is that? And why do we have to sit through this and then call it good effort? That is outrageous to me. And it has to be a recency bias from people that want it want so badly to be vindicated for hanging Cliff Kingsbury out to dry. And, you know, let me remind you of something. Okay. We've played two NFC West games on the road. All right. We have lost those games 61 to 25. We've gotten blown out of both of those games in the second half. <clears throat> blown out. All right, and don't say, oh, well, we had it was close late. Bullshit. All right, we got blown out. When, you're, when the opponent's scoring every time they touch the ball, that's a blowout. All right? So 61 to 25. Do you know that the guy that you thought was so shitty and awful won twice in four years, won twice the whole NFC West on the road, once with Kyler and once with Colt McCoy? He's won two games in, in those stadiums in four years with two different quarterbacks, all right? So the guy that you were saying was so awful, I mean, go and look at Kingsbury's road record for the Cardinals. I mean, these road games have been awful in second halves for the Cardinals. Awful. Meltdowns. I mean, they're not ready to play. They don't play situational football. They don't do nothing at halftime. 
no adjustments. And I it's an insult to football to have to sit through that and watch that and watch a stone-faced coach doing nothing on the sidelines. Absolutely nothing. He might as well be up in the press box. And I, I, I've had it. I've had it. I mean, it's just a joke. And then after the game, oh, well, we'll come back and compete. And, you know, everything's cool. And I like the way these things are trending. How can you like the way this season is trending? How can you like what's happening in second halves? How that's trending? As a defensive-minded head coach, and let me remind you of this. I mean, you know, uh, the Houston head coach, D'Amico Ryans, he, he inherited an equally bad defense. <clears throat> why is he winning and why is he, his defense let me, let me look at this. I think they are... I, I was doing some stats. I mean, the... They are... Their defensive rankings are... They're like 10th in points per game. They're in the top 10 with D'Amico Ryans. They're 10th, 18.8. Cardinals are 26, 27.0. Big difference. I mean, why is D'Amico Ryan? And let me offer this. People say, well, they have Daryl Stinger. No, they don't. He's been out. <clears throat> I mean, they're winning despite injuries that they have themselves. They're three and three. And they're holding opponents to 18.8 per game. They're playing the point is this they're playing defense in Houston. We're not playing defense for 60 minutes at all. At the most 30 minutes a game in Arizona with a defensive-minded head coach. Oh, my goodness. And, and doesn't seem to have a clue whenever this, like, avalanche hits in the second half where the other team has got all the right adjustments and is doing the right things, and our coaches are standing there looking befuddled. Not even looking befuddled. Gannon just looks stoic. Like he almost expects it, and nothing's going to happen to change his expression. And nothing's going on to change it in the game. At um, the end of uh, this week, DVOA is a statistic that I like to use as a nerd stat. Uh, at the end of this week, the Cardinals will be ranked 32nd out of 32 in defensive DVOA. There you go. And deservedly so. When you get scored on every time in a second half, you give up scores like that. And everyone's now citing injuries and everything. You know... It's how you coach the players. I mean, it's it's how. And, you know, now I'm worried that they're they're ruining this kid, Catro Clark. That's my biggest worry now, is how in the world they benched him after his best game against San Francisco and benched him a week later. Best game where he led the entire defense in PFF grade in the 70s. And you bench him. When Marco Wilson's been awful, scoring in the 20s. Now, Wilson had a little better game yesterday, which is encouraging. But, I mean, they even benched Catrell in the game yesterday and put Starling in, um, you know, um, oh, gosh, uh, the kid Starling that they picked up on waivers from what was it, the Lions. Um you know, they, they subbed him in and took Catrell out. 
mean, again, Starling Thomas know, is the name you were looking yeah, for. Starling Thomas, exactly. The fourth or fifth, actually. Starling Thomas, the fifth. Starling Thomas, the fifth. Yes. And, you know, if you know football, you know that you can't blame Catrell for those two catches he gave up to, to Cup. You can't. You, you cannot. Because you cannot. How many cornerbacks in the NFL are going to play Cooper Cup without any help? It's like saying you're going to play Trey Young one-on-one -on -one full court. Who's going to win that? Who's going to win that battle? <laughs> I don't care who you are in the NBA. Trey Young's going by you at some point. Or he's going to make you get in the air and he's going to juke you and he's going to get to the hole. <clears throat> I mean, he's just too quick. I mean, Cooper Cup is just too quick and too savvy. I mean, you just, no one can take him one on one for long, you know? Um, and he gets off press really well. I mean, you can't bump. And now they're jerking this kid around. They don't give him the start against the Bengals. I have thought it must have been disciplinary, but there's been no no sighting of that. And then in this game, he's. I thought he played his heart out. I thought he played really hard and well. I thought he had, had a really good first half. But, you know, you put him on an island against Cooper Cup, and then you make him the fall guy because of your own coaching deficiencies. So now Isaiah's gone, and that was a shit show. Collins is being wasted away in a game where you can't stop the run and he's on the edge and make one tackle all, all game long. And you don't have inside linebackers who can are physical enough to get to the football in those situations to take the romance out of the off-tackle play. I mean, all along, Kaiser White is made to order for the weak side linebacker position, and yet he's playing Mike. All right? Now you got this the best young cornerback on the roster, Catro Clark, who's trying his tail off, working his tail off, and now you're screwing with his head. I mean, it just makes me wonder what in the world is going on with defensive coaches in Arizona, who, by the way, now you've got... Will Kyler be activated this week? Do you think that Kyle... We'll see Kyler Murray activated this week. Mm, I'm going to go next week. After week seven, I'm going to say he'll be activated. I'll say next uh, next Tuesday. So what is that? Eight okay. days from today? I'll say next Tuesday. All right. Eight days and one day. Yep. All right. Uh, I, th I think that this would be the week if you want to give him three weeks. Just remember, I mean, here's where it gets tricky is that there are only really three days of practice a week. If Kyler, who has yet to take a snap in this offense, in my opinion, is likely going to need three weeks at, you know, nine practices. And then, you know, you can't, if he's not starting the game, you can't give him all the, the you know, first team reps. So and you got to work with him on the side as well. So, I mean, it's not like he's getting all the reps either. So, I think a third week of prep was probably mandatory. So that would with in would put him online to make his first start at home against the Falcons. 
in week 10. That was makes perfect sense to me. If we don't see Kyler this week, then I don't know what's going on with that. And, you know, Gannon has said it's going to be sooner than later. But again, I mean, here's where... I mean, Gannon came into this thing. I don't know what advice he was getting from Bidwell. And, you know, Kyler wasn't Gannon's necessarily, um, but he said that he wouldn't take the job without Kyler. So now, already, Gannon's decision to uphold DJ Humphreys as like the leader of the football team. You know, if leadership doesn't happen on the field and the player's not doing his job, then that kind of crumbles. So that decision is already looking like moot. Now, the decision to hail Kyler as the franchise quarterback, we want to build everything around. If that doesn't happen, what can we believe Gannon on anything? And I would ask this question too, is that from what we've seen in second halves and the way the team comes out in second halves, I mean, I just wonder if Gannon's, what kind of control Gannon has at all over this team. When something like that happens, as badly as it's happened repeatedly, and it's just rolling over practically. I mean, you know, uh, as a, as a team, as a focus, and it's not. It's like they won that one game to prove to the world that they're not total losers and they can win a game. And they got all excited and you know gave Gannon a shower and all that. But where has it been since? When? What team has shown up in the second half? No one. I mean, not as a team. Coaches haven't. I mean, and this is what I've been arguing from the start. If young coaches don't succeed, and in their area of expertise, they're awful, how can that lend credence to what they're doing as coaches? It can't. I mean, except if you have recency bias where you're so desperate to want to you know want to prove to yourself how bad cliff was and how gannon loves kyler and because gannon loves kyler and he's the one who said kyler's a franchise quarterback you know and there's an interesting parallel between gannon and kyler as it turns out is it first half good you know Exciting things, things you know, things to get hopeful of. Second half, uh oh, not so good. I mean, you know, they both have an issue of you know, as you know, of, of finishing things off. I mean, if you go back to last year's Super Bowl, maybe this is part of you know, the gods working on Gannon for you know, his uh, you know, illegal, surreptitious. Uh, you know, hiring um, to, you know, doom this year to repeat the second half of last year's Super Bowl on defense because it's been, you know, a carryover. I mean, only in once in six games do we see a even a modicum of focus and effort in second halves defensively uh, for a defensive-minded head coach. That is not good. And just making excuses for it makes it worse in my opinion. So, you know, will Gannon be true to his word about Kyler? That's the next huge question. And if that bombs out, 
where are we? I mean, if you know, and that's why I asked last week, you know, if in a conditional was I was curious not to disparage Kyler, but to say, you know, I think there are aspects of this offense that are not going to be easy for him to master in nine practices. And so, and then there's the trauma of, of you know, getting go, getting over the trauma of the first major injury of his career is the biggest hurdle for Kyler. So you put that on having nine day practices to get ready to play in a first game. I mean, I, I would expect Kyler to have some, some problems. Um, especially if the left tackle still getting, you know, is, is uh, giving up sacks like DJ is. I mean, I think there's going to be some, you know, you got to give Kyler some slack. You got to give him a few games to get settled in. I mean, I, I don't know what to expect. I mean, fans are saying left and right on Twitter, we'd be at the worst four and two with Kyler quarterback. Not with that defense. This is worse than Vance Joseph. I mean, not, you know, virtually. They're giving up more points per game now than Vance. What did here? I mean, you know, let's be real. Kyler couldn't win with that defense. He's not going to win with this defense. I mean, they don't have, you know, that kind of, you know, score at every chance they get offense. You know, so, but if this whole thing about Kyler's my guy, Kyler's, you know, he's the reason I took the the job, you know, all that falls into question. Where are we? with the coaches you know i from the get-go i was really high on lou anarumo i wanted him so badly i mean and i watched him coach yesterday did an awesome job just closing out the, the seahawks um you know he he had the best his defense had the best qbr in the nfl last year and he stifled mahomes three times um, Josh Allen twice. I mean, you go through the who's who, court, Josh, um, Justin Herbert. He has stifled, has shown an ability to stifle all of those top quarterbacks in the AFC. And I thought, man, carrying that over, I mean, we'd be, I I know for a fact, we'd be so much better defensively with Lou Anarumo um, coaching this defense. <laughs> I mean, there's no question in my mind. I mean, we'd be covering people better. Um, you know, he would have dra- drafted Brian Branch. There's no doubt in my mind. If Brian Branch is sitting there 41, Lou Anarumo understands as well as anyone the the vital importance of this slot corner position. Um, and boy, did they get great work f- out of their slot corners yesterday. Mike Hilton had that big interception. I just love the way this guy coaches. And I think he's like a defensive version of BA. You know, he's got a bit of a, he, he's a, got a bit of a fuse. I mean, you know, he, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve at times. He's an emotional guy. He's an emotional leader. Uh, wish we had hired him. I really do. Um, he would have been, and he's a real seasoned pro. I mean, but 
being that as it may, um, you know, if, if more games have, if, and this is early in the season, <clears throat> imagine how bad this could get. I mean, I hope it doesn't. I hope there are turnarounds and suddenly there are games where the players are being competitive for 60 minutes. But right now, after, you know, six games, five of which have been, you know, house of cards, second halves with the Cardinals, I, I have no confidence that they're going to be able to change this. None. I mean, I don't know why, you know, and people say, oh, we'd be winning with Kyler. Oh, boy. I mean, think of what, what you're saying in, 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 you know, relevance to the defense we've been watching. I mean, you know, it's just hard to imagine them beating anybody at this point with any quarterback. I mean, the first half Cardinals bring some level of promise, right? I I looked up the stats while you were talking when you were bringing up the second half. And if the Cardinals took just their first half point differentials, they would be ninth in the NFL this year at plus 23. It's just in the second half, they're negative 67. And that would be <laughs> fifth worst in the NFL. So at least there's some promise there, right? Like first half Cardinals are at least, you know, an above average team by most statistics. Yeah. I mean, first half is where they're getting this reputation of playing hard. But it's a tease, Kyle. It's a total tease. I mean, if you're going to play like that in the first half and then roll over in the second half the way they've been doing, it's just a tease. Um, it, it also signifies we'll play hard when we want to. And we'll play hard for a half, but don't don't expect us to do that for 60 minutes. Well, I know in college football also, the second half is usually when games with uh, an underclassed opponent, usually uh, in terms of skill level, like a, you know, a school like Rice playing against Texas or something like that. Usually the second half is where the scores do get out of hand because there's just a talent discrepancy and the second half is usually when the more talented team pulls away. I don't know right. if that's the case with this Cardinals team, but it's the only thing that comes to mind as some form of an explanation that seems reasonable for a split between plus 23 point differential in the first half and negative 67 in the second half Like right. is just yeah. how, when push comes to shove in this case, literally, because the Rams just ran the ball like 15 times in a row. When push comes right. to shove, the more talented team usually plays better in the second half. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at the effort, it's dramatically different. I mean, you know, it is. It's not just talent, it's preparation, situational football the effort um well that's you know, that's where i stop myself on that yeah is you're that these gonna... are nfl players like there yeah. there's a certain skill level there that's not there in like divisions of college football like they're the, these are nfl players that's where i stop myself short on the exp on using that as the explanation for everything right and so credit them for playing hard in the first half i, I tip my hat to that i do but like yesterday, I mean, they had the momentum in the game and they just making softball calls on offense with the chance to put points on the board. I mean, just setting up field goals. They're running vertically to, you know, jet sweeps and 
you know, gimmick plays. It's just so frustrating. I mean, you're not making a real concerted effort. It's just kind of like pretend football to me. That's why, I, like, at the halftime, I just knew, oh, boy. I mean, that was fun while we watched it to have this nine. First of all, it was nine to six, nine to three, and then giving up that 49-yard bomb on first down was just like, oh, boy, here we go. I mean, if, if you're of that mindset where you've seen it enough, that's when you, you know, it's like a stigma. I mean, once you see it start happening, you just like, it's like an avalanche. It's like a tidal wave. You can't stop it. Because the coaches don't know how to stop it, and the players don't seem to want to embrace the part of being competitive for 60 minutes. I mean, a lot of teams, look at the teams that won games yesterday. The Jets, look at how they they beat the Eagles at the end. Look at how the Brownies played the uh, 49ers. I mean, it just goes to show when you show up to play. Now, the Browns have a very talented uh, defense, and Jim Schwartz is doing a tremendous job. Of I get that. But it's the effort, too, and it's the belief in wanting to play to win. <clears throat> and, you know, the Browns were without Deshaun Watson, and they, they got away with winning with P.J. Walker, um, who, you know, I mean, they got some big breaks in the game. Walker wasn't that great, but, you know, they they ran the ball well. They got enough. That's the thing about football. Sometimes you can get enough as long as your players are playing at a high level of focus and intensity for 60 minutes. And, um, you know, give kudos to the Cardinals. They made this great play with um, – with Bobby Price and Jeff Bunt um, on that, you know, muff punt or the the fumble off the punt return, that was huge. I mean, but you got to be able to capitalize on momentum like that. And the play calling wasn't suggesting that they were going to do that. And that bothered me. You're not prepared for that situation. You know, you dominated possession like two to one in that in the first half, and you all you have is nine points. We've already seen a twenty nothing lead over the Giants at halftime was not enough. Um, you know, it's a pattern. Now it would be encouraging too to see the defense get a stop every now and then in the second half. We're not even seeing that. I mean, it's nothing. It's just roll over. Well, it's the same I mean, thing I said after the 49er game from 25 yard line to 15 yard line. It's yeah. been open season for the Cardinals. I know. And, you know, f- from there, it's points, Will. Um, and I expect better. I really do. And to not expect better, I mean, I don't know. I, I respect Howard Balzer of Phoenix, um, but he wrote last week. Isn't this really what we expected? I mean, Howard, no. I expect for a defensive head coach to know how to teach zone defense when you're playing zone, to know how to teach sticky man, to know how to use the personnel to attack teams when they're running the ball down your throats. Yeah, I I have a higher expectation of that. I imagine you do too, Howard. I mean, you're in the building every day. You're doing a hell of a job, but... You got to expect more than that. It's if you don't expect more than getting blown out every second half, 
Like, this is what we expected in the first place. Why did you hire a defensive coach? Especially when your quarterback was the one to fix. <laughs> it just makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Your quarterback got everyone fired. Okay? You bring in a new coaching staff and you bring in a defensive guy. I, and, you know... Not that anyone wants to hail Steve Kime, but I'll give Kime some credit here. He's on the on the um, on a podcast saying that if you hire a defensive guy, he's got to be special, and I think he's right about that. I mean, D'Amico Ryan's looks special to me in Houston right now. What is Jonathan Gannon doing that looks special? I don't see it. Um, you know. I don't, it just doesn't look to me like much of anything special at all. <clears throat> and, you know, for a guy to challenge his team saying, do you have fire in the belly? I mean, and watch him on the sideline. There's no fire in that belly that's visible. I mean, it's just spectatorship. I mean, not even a cheering fan, you know, practically. And, you know, Cliff was at his best when he was getting emotional on sidelines and really getting into the game. The, the players feed off of that. Remember those days? We're all like, yeah, Cliff, you go. Um, where he was, John was players on the other team. And, you know, so getting a little emotional doesn't hurt. Look at Sean McVay yesterday. He was, oh. He was his animated self, so involved, wearing his heart on his sleeve, just getting after the players, you know, hugging them when they're coming off. I mean, really getting out, really working. I saw one guy working his ass off. I saw another guy just standing there. It's a huge difference. And I hope I'm wrong. Maybe maybe Gann learns from this. Maybe he changes his spots. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you know we suddenly re see the reason why. Gannon could be special as a head coach. But I think recency bias is helping him create this sort of myth or fiction that, well, this is a team that plays hard. Yeah, maybe for 30 minutes, but that's not a team that plays hard. It's a 60-minute game. If you want to win awards for playing hard for 30 minutes, you know, what's that going to get you? So... Um, but nonetheless, going to finish, finish out with another couple polls that I was sending out up there this morning. Hey, Cardinal football, uh, spot, spot rack projects Hollywood Brown to sign a three year, $54.3 million contract, which is an average of 18.1 million a year. It's basically the Christian Kirk contract. Um, next year in 2024. If the team can get a day two pick for him by the trading deadline, would you endorse the move? Uh, the first choice was yes, get a day two pick value now. That came in at 30% with 446. Wait, let me get an update. Yeah, 46 votes is 30.4%. No, pay and keep him. Pay. Pay him and keep him with Kyler. Got fifty four point three percent. How do you react to that? 
Kyle. I actually voted for the third option, which was tag him in 2024 at $19.7 million. So I went a different direction than everyone there, but I don't, I don't think you could go wrong either way. Now, if your plan is for him to be the number one going forward, I'm not sure that's the best strategy, but I still don't see a problem with paying him a three-year contract. I think that they'll be, they'll be okay with that. That's wide receiver two money. And maybe you could argue you get a wide receiver two in the draft at a cheaper value potentially, but I'm okay with giving him the contract. I personally voted for franchise tag him for one year because, you know, you're kind of up in the air on how long Kyler's going to be there. So unless you want to lock Hollywood Brown in long term, I guess three years isn't that long term, but I went for the franchise tag option. Mm. All right. My take on it is different. Um, first of all, I'm concerned about Hollywood's uh, ability, like Kyler, to sustain uh, a high degree of health throughout a 17-game season. Already this year and last year, you know, there's weekly concerns about whether he's going to play in games. Um, I just don't know if he can hold up physically. Um I think it would be an enormous risk at that money. I think we already have a wide receiver, too, in Michael Wilson, who potentially could be a 1A. Um, so if they found a guy like that to draft, imagine who they could draft at so much considerably less money. Um, and it's a good year for draft picks in wide receiver spot. Um, and there's some free agents that might be attractive. Um, so I, I voted for get a day two value now. Um, I also, you know, I mean, Hollywood's more, would be more incentivized to play harder and better with Kyler. So I get that. So I understand your point, but 19.7 against next year's cap while you're now paying Kyler 51. I mean, 51 is 20% of the entire cap. Adding another twenty million to that, with a team that really needs help up front, particularly on defense. Oh, I you know. Plus, hey, I understand. Would... Yeah, I understand your concerns absolutely, and I, I think that's a fair point. It's, I don't know if you followed the whole Steve Smith Jerry Judy thing last week that was going yep. down on Thursday Night Football, but. Hollywood Brown is not a jag. Like you was saying, he's not just a guy like he is a high quality NFL receiver. I also recognize that he had the best six weeks of his career. The six weeks that he had healthy with Kyler last year at the same time, you, it's better if he's your wide receiver too, than not. And you know, if this is basically the Christian Kirk contract all over again, you know, Christian Kirk is playing well in Jacksonville, but I don't feel like the Cardinals necessarily miss Christian Kirk all that much. Yeah, well, they we didn't get that version of Christian Kirk either. He wasn't willing to play the slot as much. But even he, though he is playing well in Jacksonville, it's not like, oh, darn, we really missed out on this great wide receiver in Christian Kirk. People are kind of right. like, good for Christian right. Kirk that he finally figured it out. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, 
I, I, I like Hollywood, the person, and I, I'm a fan of his talent. I mean, he's getting open. He's got great feet. Um, and I, I'd, I'd love to see him thrive in this offense. So, uh, you know, that's the one tantalizing thing. I'd like to see him, I think, if Kyler is going to come back, I'd like to see the teams stick with him to see what that combination looks like before we talk, start talking this kind of money um, and see if it can last. You know, I still have this weird feeling that we're never going to see Kyler this year. And it's going to put the whole Holly Brown, Hollywood Brown situation on hold and make it speculative to what it means going forward. That's why I kind of get your tag him for a year. I get the logic of that a lot. But that figure for wide receiver tag at 19.7, it's just daunting. And we have, I think, $64 million on the cap. That would take up almost a third of it with all the other stuff we need to do. I mean, we have so many players on one-year contracts. I mean, rebuilding this team next year is going to be a major project. Um, not impossible, but, you know, it's just going to be hard to figure. And with all these draft picks that they have, I mean, the fact they pulled out a Michael Wilson out of last year's draft is impressive. I mean, Dave Sears uh, and uh, Monty Austin for I mean, if they can pull another rabbit out of that, um, you know, in this draft at wide receiver, probably on day two, um, Somewhere on day three, maybe one of those three third rounders. You can get a rather really good third rounder. Um, so it's a dilemma, and the fans want to keep him with Kyler. Um, so, and I get that. I get the sentiment of that. You know, I think another fun idea is if one of those first, I think there's five or six first round projected receivers this year. If one of those guys falls to the top of round two, you can get first round talent at second round prices. Receivers a good position to invest in there. And uh, I like right. that guy, Igbuka from Ohio State. I'm hoping that he falls to round oh, two yeah. for the Cardinals. Oh, man, that would be awesome. Um, a lot of really good guys. I mean, look at, um, you know, Nakua. I mean, what was he? What round did he go in? I want to say round five. Right. He's the best rookie receiver in the league right now. Cardinals did a pretty nice job on him yesterday. But Coop went off. Cup, Cup it's too easy. Um, you know, they didn't bracket Cup properly and cost him, burned him badly. Um, so, uh, So the other one that I asked was about Zayvon Collins. I said, in light of defensive struggle to stop the run and Zayvon Collins' low production outside linebacker, do you want coaches to move him back to inside linebacker? 50%, 50.9% say yes. Uh, the another high, the next highest total is trade Zayvon at trading deadline. So there we go. And we're trading away our best players. Again, not using them in spots that I think are best suited for them. This is like, if you didn't know better, from what you watched yesterday were all the things that ailed the Cardinals last year. 
I mean, an offense that was just sputtering, uh, missing on receivers, uh, except a better running the ball than last year, um, but not sticking to the running in, in ways or, you know, deviating it with these, you know, like uh, cute plays that got blown up, um, playing sort of to get field goals rather than touchdowns, playing throwing everything under the sticks on third downs or throwing it out of bounds on third downs, giving your team no chance. And then on defense, you know, hanging around being pretty good for about a half and then just totally, you know, falling apart in the second half, um, you know, not stopping the run, uh, getting run over, um, plowed over. And then, like you said, between the tackles, things being so easy and then giving up, um, you know, easy catches. It just looked like the same, same old, same old. You wouldn't know the difference really. Um, and that's troubling. I mean, why is it, you know, why aren't things trending a little differently than that so far? So, but I'd love to see him move Zayman back and see what we do with that uh, before you give up on him. Like they gave up on Simmons. Um, and people say, yeah, Simmons, you know, had an attitude. Simmons, Simmons needed a, a mentor to grab him by the lapels and sit him down and get him straightened out, straightened out. And I would have thought, based on his talent, uh, you know, uh, Nick Rayless could have been that guy. And I still think he could have. But... You know, like like the Cardinals do in so many cases, they succumb to fan pressure, or they do make moves thinking the fans would approve. And mo majority of the fans hip hip hooray the trade for a seventh rounder. I fought back. I thought it was outrageous, and I still do. I think it's just a total waste of uh, number eight pick in the in the draft. Not given enough time to to work with him. You know, as a as a teacher, there are kids. There's some some, and as a coach, there's some play some students and some players who are at the beginning resist, 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 and they're not maximizing their potential. But it's incumbent upon you as a teacher or coach to not quit on those kids and young men and find that way because there's you know there's a Typically, a way to um, to f f get engaged with a young person and get them the kind of help they need, and put them in the right position to succeed, as coaches always say. So, but yeah, I would love to see Zayvon move over. Particularly seeing is I think that Kemdiche is doing is outplaying him in that role. And I'd love to see Gardick and Ojolari just split snaps at the speed rusher spot. I also think now that you're going to have my Jay Sanders back is you can put my Jay in there with Thomas. Um, that's the other guy they got to get on track. I mean, Cameron Thomas is one of the top five or six talented players on this defense. And they're just basically – rotating him in and out and not giving him um, 
a, a, a role that I feel like will maximize his potential. He's kind of wasting away too. So, I mean, and they're getting undervalued from him. And hopefully that will change because he's so talented. He's he's explosive, that kid. I mean, he could do everything I think that Zach Allen did for us if you put him in a similar position. So, um, but yeah, uh, next week is Seattle up there. Another third road game, or is it at home? Are we in Seattle? It's yeah. in Seattle, and uh, the Cardinals yeah. right now are eight and a half point underdogs. Yeah. You know, sadly, I bet against the Cardinals. Not bet, but in my we do a weekly uh, pick three against the spread. I mean, I was just so convinced that based on what I saw in the second half of the last few games that it would continue. And unfortunately, I was correct. I wish I was wrong. Um, I took the Rams and six points, um, and I'll take the Seahawks and eight. I don't see um, – the kind of defensive coaching and preparation here that uh, that lends confidence. I haven't seen in a second half since Dallas. I didn't see it before Dallas. So, and it's just the avalanche um, of giving up points on every possession. And let me say this: for a quarterback like Kyler, that's the worst scenario for him is to put the kind of pressure on him to have to score every time he touches the football. We had one great player doing that. His name was Kurt Warner. He'd get a team on his back, and he would he was so TD-hungry every time he touched the ball. And, you know, he was, like, ready to rip it. And But he was also a great Great quarterback at syncing himself up with every wide receiver on that right. He made a thousand yard receiver out of Stevie Preston, a guy who couldn't even catch the football when he first came to camp. I mean, he turned Jeremy Urban into a, um, you know, a third down uh, move the chains guy because he was matched up against the Q- the key CB fours <coughs> in the league. And, um, Kurt worked with him every day in practice and after practice to get him ready for that role. That's what we need in Arizona. We need a syncing up of quarterback and receivers to get the, you know, to get the the kind of chemistry that we, you know, you see from a Stafford and a cup. I mean, that's all done through practice and repetitions and guys being available during the week, which Hopkins wasn't consistently you know, um, and, and then you need a quarterback to tell everyone to shut up, <laughs> like Kurt did. He even said to Larry, I get it, Larry. You'll get yours, but I'm going to get everybody involved. And, um, you know, there's be some times when you're not going to get the ball. So, too bad. <laughs> That's the way it's going to be. Because um, we're going to focus on winning games, not who gets what. We want to get something as a team. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the Seahawks, you know, I, I really admire what they've been doing, um, to rebuild that team. 
And, uh, you know, if they don't get to Geno Smith and cover Metcalf and Lockett, um, again, it's going to be such a long – and then Walker out of the backfield, is a, they couldn't stop last year. We got swept by him last year pretty well. Um, you know, it's up there, be nice. I'd love to see around. I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to see a bounce back. I'd love to see a infusion of hope. Love to see a much more concerted effort to play hard in the second half on both sides of the ball. I'd like to see a bounce back game at the quarterback position, uh, whether it's from Dobbs or Toon. I mean, I think Kyler's window should be now to get him active and start his reps. So it's going to bother me if this just drags on, but, uh, yeah. Um, just hope that, that, uh, they can make these corrections because otherwise I think if this just keeps snowballing like an avalanche, I don't know how at the end of this, at the end of 17 games of going through, uh, games like this are going to do anything to a, grow confidence in the coaching staff moving forward and B grow confidence in the fact that free agents would want to come here and play. Um, that's a factor as well. And then people will say, well, no, Monty's not going to care about that. He'll just get the bargain guys again and <clears throat> keep building through the draft. Well, if you keep building through the draft and the coaching isn't adequate, then you've got a, you know, a real issue. And I'll just throw this out as a, as a thought. Is that, you know, I was thinking of myself down the road, something, that, you know, sometimes you have to take a peek at this. Is there a guy out there that makes sense moving forward if this thing bombs with Gannon? And I think there is. And he's on Detroit. And we have a connection there with um, Dave Sears. And his name is Ben Johnson, the offensive coach for uh, the offensive coordinator. Um, now, if we're going to stick with Kyler, why not put him in the best possible hands? Um, ben Johnson, look what he's done with Jared Goff. Yeah, aren't you impressed with that, Kyle? The Lions as a whole are impressive to me, but yeah. particularly the fact that Jared Goff has been essentially a top 11 quarterback the last two seasons in the league has been a nice turnaround. And also, I did not, I didn't buy the Amon Ross St. Brown hype. I, I didn't see him as a yeah. true go to number one receiver. Yeah. And he's, our offense completely changes with him injured like he was a week ago and then comes back this week and has a touchdown like he is the real deal. And I didn't think that was going to be I didn't think that was going to be a thing. Yeah, I mean, they've just I mean, Ben Johnson's going to be at the top of a whole bunch of people's lists. And, you know, the fact that Dave Sears is in Arizona, they've got to find a way to keep Dave Sears. If he, if they let him go. And wherever he goes, he'll probably hire Ben Johnson. That's going to be a huge mistake in my mind. Um, huge. Uh, you know, I think he's the best link. I mean, if I had to pick between Austin Fort and Dave 
Sears, you had to pick one of them, I'd take Sears. Um, you know, I like what Monty did with those trades and everything. I really question some of the moves he's made in, in other trades um, and question some of the personnel decisions they've made with Gannon, like moving Zayvon Collins to the edge. I don't get that. I, I don't, particularly since Zayvon Collins popped out on tape last year on numerous occasions. Um, you know, I originally that, voted no on that poll that you had, and then you made some good points that have had me reconsidering it, that they have such a depth at the edge rushing position and such a need at the interior linebacker position. Exactly. That's the thing. I mean, if we're weak on the edge, you could justify it. But, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, these were like swift decisions made prior to anything ever happening. And, happening and I, I just think so many of them were ill-advised and I don't know if they were encouraged by Bidwell I mean somebody was in those guys ears uh, when they arrived saying that Humphrey's your guy Kyler's your franchise quarterback well we have yet to see that under them um, and their fates like Cliff's could depend on this I, I think there's no question about it is if you know, Kyler comes in and he shows promise, then you're not going to make changes. But if Kyler comes in and it's more struggles and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't appear to be liking the offense or taking to the offense the way you would hope, then it's just going to raise doubt as to why, why in the world do they make these moves if what they were really trying to do was set up Kyler. Um, but he goes back to Austin Fort's opening press conference. Is Kyler going to have input on the uh, head coaching? You remember what Austin Fort said? He said, "Oh, I want a coach who, you know, be able to coach everybody." So there we are. That's what we got. His choice of a coach who could coach everybody. And right now, he's a defensive coach who's having trouble coaching defensive players and getting the best out of the best defensive talent he's got. So we've got to see something on that end, something change on that end to have it justify the uh, the selection. And um, you know, there are things that you can like about Gannon. I mean, he's positive in press conferences and he doesn't seem to flinch. But that, too, sort of making me wonder, you know, just how, whether he senses, has a sense of urgency or just feels like he can, like he said, be where his feet is and just do whatever he's doing. I mean, one half of football is head coach. Cliff Kingsbury said he thought he might lose his house. <laughs> I mean, and had a sense of urgency. And for three and a half years... Talk about things trending in the right direction. He had it going. And, you know, I don't know if we'll ever see the Cardinals win eight road games in a single season again. And, you know, that was – or, you know, winning 11 games tied for second in franchise record as a franchise record um, with B.A. and my all-time favorite, Don Coriel. I mean, there was – there were the three to do it, get to 11, and B.A. got to 13. That was quite a ride that season. That was a nine-game winning streak. That that was really awesome. And unfortunately, 
blew up in the playoffs. But, um, you know, looking ahead, we've got to get, you know, a good sense of whether Kyler's a fit in the offense and whether he is indeed the guy for them moving forward um, and whether Kyler likes the situation himself. I'm worried that when Kyler looks at this defense in those second halves, he does not going to want any part of this because he's not going to want to wait two, three more years for the team to be relevant. Kyler's, you know, on a timetable and it's not a patient one. Um, He wants to go to a team and he's, you know, it's clear. He wants to go to a team that has a great defense and a really good wide receiver room and a good offensive line. If he gets those three components, he's going to be all in. Otherwise, he's going to be nervous and apprehensive. And what's trending on the Cardinals' defense does not look like a scenario that Kyler Murray would want any part of. Just an FYI. Um, um, I, I know how exasperated he was in past years in games that he played well enough to win and the defense coughed it up at the end and ended up losing. So that's a scenario that Kyler wants to avoid. And it'd be really interesting to see if he actually does come back um, under these circumstances. It's really, really interesting. So stay tuned. We'll see what happens with that. Kyle, any, um, what's your parting thought? Tough game, tough loss. We're going to bounce back against Seattle, hopefully. And uh, like you, I'm hoping to see a, a little bit more of Demer Caro coming up in uh, the Seattle yes. game as well. Imare. Whoa. Yes. Uh, you're firing me up. You're talking my language. Um, I'm hoping to see him. I'm hoping to see all the young players. I, You know, I don't know why we're. You know, Josh Woods has like a 24 PFF grade. Why is he playing over a fifth-round draft pick in Owen Popo? I don't get that. Why are we screwing around with uh, Catrell Clark? I don't get that. I mean, leave him in there. Let him grow his rookies. Let him take their lumps at times. But now coach him out of it. I mean, come on, man. And why ignore Michael Wilson, you know, for three quarters, two games in a row? And, you know, the one play that he caught in the first half was off schedule. You know, there wasn't a design target for him at all for three quarters, other than the off schedule scramble throw, which Dobbs made one of his best plays on. And uh, Wilson made a great catch on like I said, he's a 50-50 magnet. You can throw it up there to him. So, you know, I'm not going to quit caring. I'm going to go in every game hoping to see this team compete to win. And, you know, I expect nothing less from professionals and from, you know, this new coaching staff. It's important for them because if there's – it's not even close, like I said – what will this bode for the future um, for this coaching staff? When you're young, you got to be hungry. 
you know, you're young. This is the youngest coaching staff in the NFL. You got to be hungry to win. You got to be hungry to prove your metal and your skill and your that you're worthy of having these jobs. And there has to be a sense of urgency to do that. Um, and a work ethic that goes with it. So let's see what happens. But uh, until next time, may the red rain shower down on you into the red, red sea. Red rain.